You're listening to Rosie on the House. As we head out back, it's the second Saturday of the month, which means we are talking trees. Certified arborist John Eisenhower joins us. If you have a tree question, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411-923 or send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help with some tree or insect identification. You can send images to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Good morning, Mr. Eisenhower. Good morning. How are you? Very good. You bring a tree with you today? Oh, I brought one in my back pocket. I always <laughs> do. It's the tree of the month. The February tree of the month is the Parkinsonia microphyllum. It's a what's called the green, yellow palo verde, the foothill palo verde. It also uh, goes by the little leaf palo verde. Um, the palo, it's it's kind of the our Arizona state tree's little brother, so to speak, because it's a smaller version of our state tree, which um, uh, enjoys a, a lot more uh, 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 familiarity with most of our listeners and, and those around the state as our state tree. But I really like it. It has some amazing qualities. The reason it's called the foothill palo verde is it's the one you see on all the foothills around around the valley here in in in, uh, in Phoenix and around the state, uh, those little those little green dots you see all, all, all along the hillsides, those are the uh, little uh, foothill palo verde. Now I thought I, I had no idea there was a foothill palo verde and a state you know that there was a difference. A palo verde is palo verde, it's a green trunked uh, native tree. How many different varieties of Palo Verdes are there? Well, those are the two main ones we have in the state are native um, grown, but there are tons of cultivars. You know, you've got your Palo, your uh, Palo Breas and uh, several hybrid um, Palo Verdes, which we are common, uh, commonly grown and distributed through our, our local nurseries. But the Foothill Palo Verde is a smaller uh, version of all those. It grows more slowly. Lasts, it lives a long time. It can up, up to, you know, uh, over 100 years in age. And you, if you if you're looking for a really dramatic, um, uh, large palo verde, this is not a good choice for that. But if you're looking for a smaller one, and you're willing to be patient to let it achieve its landscape purpose, uh, the foothill palo verde is a really durable, amazing little uh, little tree. We like it a lot. It's uh, like I said, one of our more uh, vigorous trees. Grows in really dry, arid areas, rocky soil. Um, whereas uh, our blue palo verde likes. Uh, those low-lying areas that have a little more seasonal rain, uh, the blue palo verde you'll see in the in our little ravines and areas that are going to get a little bit of seasonal water. On this type of palo verde, is, you said it's native, so I'm guessing this isn't one of the thornless hybrids that have come along in the last couple of years, so this is this is a spiny one? Yeah, it's got little little upright, very stiff little branches with little um, little thorns on the end, little points on the end. It's not brutally um, thorny like your Alba Mesquite or even the Ironwood or some of the ones that catch your clothing and and snag you. You know, you can work around them very easily with uh, with just a, a pair of soft gloves on, and you'll be fine. Uh, again, uh, really great for a small location and and maybe one of those uh, more uh, drier, rockier soil areas. Um, the uh, little little leaf palo verde would do you, do you well. The Foothills Palo Verde, it's February's tree of the month, and this is the month to do? 
Well, before we leave the Palo Verde, too, just be on the lookout, too, because they're going to be in full bloom here in the next month or so. When they come in March and April, they'll start putting on a beautiful bloom, and th then it'll dot all of our hillsides with little little dots of yellow because they're going to be just a glorious display of those yellow blooms. We were talking in the last hour with Roger Naylor about things to do in Arizona. On that list was the wild uh, wildflowers. This is going to be an incredible season, I think, for both the wildflowers and the Palo Verde blooms, the amount of yeah, rain we've reaped received since October. Yeah, the rain is so good for all of our um, our gardens and our trees, especially getting that additional supplemental water, which, you know, a lot of trees can can do okay on, on, our, on our drip irrigation systems, but man, do they flourish when they get a little added uh, seasonal rainfall, especially some nice deep soaking rain in the fall and winter. So when we turn the corner into the spring right now, they kind of hit the road running. Um, and along with a lot of other things like our weeds. Um, we have this crop, crop of weeds this spring has been amazing. So yeah, getting out ahead of those is really important. And it's one of my notes I wanted to cover today. Be sure that you try to get to those weeds soon. I mean, uh, if they if they mature and go to seed and put on seeds for the following year, you're going to have a big old crop next year too. So be sure you try to get those under control as soon as you possibly can. I have more goat feed then I think time to consume it before they brown <laughs> up and they won't eat them then. <laughs> yeah. we, we've got cheese weeds on the west side of the property in the wash that are taller than the kids. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, I walked out there in my backyard. I hadn't been out there for a week or two. And my gosh, you're knee high, sh thigh high. And oh, no, you know. But as long as they're still green and, they, and, and they're still holding those little green seeds, man, get them down now. Cut them down, you know, hoe them down. Even if you can only get the tops off for now. You know, even I mean, sometimes the weeds are getting so heavy and thick, you could get one of those little scythes, you know, from the local hardware store and just, or a weed eater, and just mow them down, you know, uh, to to small stems, and deal with the stems later. Let those dry up and and, uh, but just if you can get that top leafy vegetative part of the weed at least down and get get rid of those weeds that they hold, uh, you'll be way ahead of the game. Just don't let them go to seed. <laughs> don't let them go to seed. I hate those weeds. I don't know what they are, but they're the ones that have those little little black sticky um, seeds. If you let those weeds uh, eventually put out those little sticky seeds, then you come in and they're all over in your socks. They're all over your pants. And we got a crop of that kind of weed in our backyard too. And I hate those getting um, letting those go too long because that's a mess not only a, then then you're tracking those little seeds all over the yard as you, everywhere you walk because they're they're getting knocked off and oh if you got a long-haired dog like a labrador or something isn't how much fun to spend hours with a comb just trying to clean that out i know i know it just takes me just 20 minutes just to get my clothes and my socks and my boots cleaned off before i go in the house <laughs> and in addition for spraying for weeds we can also spray for olives this time of year yeah, this is a prime time for our olive spraying. If you haven't gotten on, on someone's calendar, be sure you, you call in this week and get going because our the, our spray calendar does fill up pretty quick this time of year, but we're yeah, happy to get you on the, on the list and get those done. Uh, they are timed because the spray has to be during the bloom cycle at specific times of the, of the season to be sure you get good spray coverage. So this is prime time for that, and as those buds are starting to open, uh, we have this uh, a window of opportunity, so uh, yeah, get that, make the, those calls this next week. Pruning? Are we are we ready to start pruning frost damage yet? Not really. You know, with our recent frost this week, it's a good indicator. You know, look at your your weather report, see if you've got 
you know, right now it's the 10-day forecast is is pretty mild, uh, nothing lower than the 40s. So, but this time, um, probably next month, around the 1st of March, is usually the the average uh, last day of frost. But check your local weather report and and make sure we don't have a, a late frost, you know, on the horizon. And, and then you can start trimming back. You could probably safely start cutting back some of that frost damage now with the 10-day forecast. But, hey, I'm not going to uh, be the one who says that you gave you the green light and have you coming back complaining in a month from now when we get this late February, early March frost. And then we've, you know, then you have a harder freeze and it'll, it'll freeze deeper into the plant. So that's why we leave all the frost damage uh, leaves on for just a few more weeks until we're home free from the frost, and then you can start cutting those back. It's been a few years since we've had one. My lime tree, uh, I, we it, we haven't had any kind of frost on that in the last four or five years. This year, about the top third, if not a little bit more, is <laughs> got a little bit of a frost. Oh, yeah. is brown. Oh, it, brown. It did. <laughs> yeah, lime limes are the are the most frost. Uh, sensitive of all the citrus, and when they get frozen back, they freeze back pretty deep. But if you got a, a tree that's you know three or four or five years of age, generally they won't die. They'll just freeze back to a bit of a hat rack, and you've got to cut them way down, and then they'll just grow back the following year. Ours is the same way. We had a heavy freeze a few years ago, and now the tree's really huge. Maybe the best way to trim it too, because a lot of times we're not aggressive enough. And, and the freeze kind well, of the nature does it organically for us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to Sue, who's ju- jumped on the line at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Sue, how can we help you? Oh, good morning. It seems as if you sort of touched on what I was ca- going to call about. I have an orange grapefruit and lemon tree. They are huge. They've never been professionally cut. And the one guy that was here said, "Well, you know, you should, you should be cutting them down." now in you know, trimming them but i want to make sure that i trim them at the proper time of the year because the one is almost hitting the house and the other one is almost hitting the pathway where you walk yeah it's a great question and this is prime time for trimming all of your citrus we we always tell people between the 15th of february and the 15th of march is is the best time to to cut citrus back heavily because it does give you an opportunity to, uh, one, salvage some of the fruit that might be on the trees, but you're after the the uh, the frost danger, but before the real hot weather comes in. So really, February 15th to about April 1st is a great time to if you have some heavier pruning to do on your citrus trees. That being said, um, be careful you don't cut them too far back uh, so that you leave uh, large open areas that are exposed to too much sun because if the hot weather comes, you know, after, you know, the 15th or the, uh, of April or, or into, into May, the tree may not have time to recover and put on a little additional foliage to protect the, that sensitive bark uh, from sunburn. Uh, citrus bark is about a sixteenth of an inch thick. You can just take your fingernail and scratch it, and it, it takes just a, a two hours of, of interrupted sunlight on any portion of the, the main trunk or branches uh, to sunburn citrus. And once citrus um, bark is damaged, the cambium just below it is permanently lost, and you lose the conductive capacity of the tree to uptake water and nutrients and to transport the, the carbohydrates to the rest of the tree. So that little patch of bark that's burned is gone forever. So uh, protect the bark of your citrus trees 
in any way you can. Just don't open them up too much. His bark and bite, they're about the same. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the House. We're in the middle of a conversation on citrus and protecting the bark. Is this, we have Valentine's coming up, one of the holidays we use to remember to fertilize citrus. With the frost, is it, do we hold off on that a little bit or is it okay to apply it now? It depends on what you're putting down. You know, the, the, the main um, uh, criteria for uh, effective fertilization is, is often soil temperature. And, you know, we don't really have that, you know, that much of a dormancy here where the soil is um, so cold that we're not getting any uptake at all. In fact, the research shows that even during the winter uh, season, during a true dormancy, there's a lot of activity going on in the soil, which is insulated from the cold. So in answer to your question, yes, you know, you can you can fertilize and uh, it's not too early in the season to do that. You know, getting some fertilizer down. Uh, is is good. We've always talked about a fall fertilization as being really important for um, uh, helping trees to kind of hit the road running, so to speak, because they're going to be utilizing that those stored nutrients uh, with their their uh, their push of spring growth. So good good time if you have didn't fertilize in the fall, a good time to get that fertilizer down now. And yes, uh, Valentine's Day is our first holiday that we as we that serves as a reminder for your first application of. Uh, citrus fertilizer, and then we have our Memorial Day and our Labor Day. If you're doing a three a, th- a three application fertilizer, those are three um, holidays to put on your calendar now as good days to or good uh, uh, good uh, times to put your fertilizer down. Again, th- a three application um, uh, regimen is minimum. <laughs> well, it, it's 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 really good for citrus because it helps the citrus to have the fertilizer at the time they're utilizing it most. You know, putting on that fruit uh, again, developing the, the the new the new fruit in the later in the season, and then finally in the fall, storing nutrients for the the that uh, continual fruit development into those late uh, months of the year. But remember to take your annual fertilizer dosage and split it into three equal amounts. You don't want to be putting on full fertilizer, you know, uh, applications an annual amount. Uh, for a, a single tree, read the label instructions. They usually have a, a quantity of fertilizer per diameter inch of the tree, uh, so just be be sure to to follow those closely. And then, uh, yeah, as I said, you know, splitting that dosage into the number of applications that you plan to apply during the during the year, and you'll uh, really the trees will love you for it. We do have a regular fertilization program. We also have our our tree calendar on our website. If you need those reminders too, be sure to, to tune in there and uh, mark your calendars. And on your tree calendar, you've got a four citrus fertilizer. So if you're following the four fertilizers, you split your annual doses up into four. Right. We usually call it February, May, August, and October. But if you're going on three times, you know, you can look at those holidays as kind of your markers as well. So three or four dosages for citrus is a, is a great uh, application uh, either one of those is a great program to have. Speaking of which, can I talk a little bit about just having a tree maintenance plan? It's a good time of year to just talk about having a plan for the year. If you are kind of wondering, you know, what do I, I've got a large yard, I've got lots of shrubs, a lot of trees, different species, 
and I'm not sure how to go about making sure they're being maintained, um, call us and give us an opportunity to send out one of our certified arborists who can just walk the property with you and kind of develop a maintenance plan for the year. You can take that plan and use it, you know, uh, in, in the future. Also, there's things that are, 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 are very uh, seasonal, and you want to be sure those are being uh, mapped out for you. Our certified arborists are more than happy to do that for you. A tree maintenance plan. And we, we love doing that, you know, because it helps us too, not uh, in just in terms of spreading the work out evenly across the year seasonally. It's best for the trees. And it's also helpful for the budget too, because it spreads out some of that cost. Rather than trying to do everything on one visit, uh, we just found that uh, many of our customers really like to s- split these, um, the ma- their maintenance calendar into appropriate times of the year. And it might just be a twice yearly uh, visit. Um, other times, it's even more frequent in larger yards that have more trees and and uh, there's a higher maintenance demand. But rather, trying to get it all done at one time, the property is maintained more uniformly throughout all the seasons of the year. Everything looks great. There's no clearance issues with the building, with the streets, with the sidewalks, because we're doing that all along the way. Plus, we're being able to time the maintenance on your specific tree species. So it's great. I've got my tree work cut out for me this weekend. I'm a little late on our ash trees. I had a little thinning I want to do, and they've already started to bud. And I know if I don't get on top of that, the mulberries I'm going to thin are going to are shortly behind to start oh. sprouting the new growth. And I haven't trimmed back <laughs> my my peach tree yet. I've got to I've got to get out there. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind. It sits behind my garage, and I don't get out there as often. But I need to get on that right away. Probably this weekend. I'll give that a good uh, trimming back. Because some of your 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 plants like peaches, your trees that are that that bloom on current year's growth, uh, you've got to cut those back soon enough. Otherwise, they start you know putting on all that uh, those buds, and you're going to be cutting off the very wood that they're they're producing uh, uh, fruit on. I might actually be pretty late on my peach tree to be cutting that back. So I, if I see it's loaded up with buds, and maybe you, you, some of your trees are loaded with buds right now. You might have to just cut a portion of those branches back. You don't want to lose all the fruit altogether. So just cut them back a little bit, enough so that you reduce the weight and don't end up getting a lot of branch breakage. Adding peach to my trim list this weekend. (laughs) If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Talking Trees with certified arborist John Eisenhower. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. A couple digital questions that have come in. Barbara sent a picture from Tucson and wanted to know if the evergreen pistache she planted in October looks okay. Uh, we both looked at it. I think it's fine. I, I didn't think pistache, there were any evergreens. I think there are. I think are if it's if it's referred to, if the nurseries are referring to it as an evergreen, it must be one that holds its leaves through uh, uh, has a very low uh, freeze temperature, and it probably holds its leaves through anything we can offer it here in the in the low desert. So it might be for our climate. Yep. An yeah, and those those little lentiscus, those pistachio lentiscus, they're they're a, a pretty uh, durable evergreen tree. They're 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 beautiful. It's a smaller um, pistache uh, as opposed to our. Um, the larger, like red push, but yeah, I saw the pictures. It looks pretty good. The leaves look a little bit small. Maybe you be careful not to overwater, especially if you've had a lot of seasonal rain. You might want to back off on some of your uh, emitter systems 
uh, even throw the, throw the timer on rain, kind of let that that root zone dry out, and then then kind of resume your regular watering cycle uh, when your the soils have have uh, dried out sufficiently. The last thing you want to do is put water on top of water on top of water. Uh, it it can suffocate the root system and uh, cause some uh, partial or even sometimes long term damage to the root system, which will have a corresponding effect on the above ground parts of the tree. Sometimes we'll see a tree that looks like it's been in a pretty wet landscape. The leaves are very thin, um, even defoliating, and we'll realize that it's just an overwatering situation. And all we need to do is cut the, shut down the water, let that root zone dry out, which introduces oxygen to the root, system, the root zone, and uh, it can just perk it, trees back up right away. They'll put leaves on again. Because without oxygen in the root zone, uh, 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 metabolism within the cell, cellular system of the root system it can't take place. It just shuts it down. You know, if you're flooding that root zone and it's just not getting enough oxygen, um, uh, that root metabolism will just uh, will shut down temporarily. A text question, and I would say the area code, but it doesn't even matter anymore with, the, with cell phones. You used to be able to tell the region. Uh, but so, but uh, didn't, didn't fertilize on Labor Day. Over-fertilized later. Almost all the leaves have fallen off now. What do I do? Yeah, I can't say that I haven't done that myself. <laughs> I did over-fertilize a tree one time, uh, put a little bit too much fertilizer, granular fertilizer, around the base of a tree, and it 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 basically fried the root system. Um, fertilizer is, most of our, our granular fertilizers and liquid fertilizers are salt-based, and they... Um, uh, if if put on in, in too high a quantity, can actually burn the root system. And the best thing to do um, is to water, uh, water, water, just the opposite of what I just told you about not overwatering your plants. But in this case, in order to save the tree, you have to leach the salts out of the root system. The only way you can do that is to cont- is to water it deeply for several days, uh, maybe kind of platoon the watering, water today to a depth of a, a foot or two, Come back um, a couple of days later, do it again. Try to flush that, that those salts out. And I had a good result on, on, on the tree that I over-fertilized. It dropped its leaves as well. It was a silk oak tree. Um, within a few short days, it put all of its leaves back on, and, uh, and it was fine. But uh, what the tree is doing when it's shutting down its leaves, it's shutting down the photosynthetic process. It actually is, is stopping the uptake. As long as the leaves are still you know, photosynthesizing, there's going to be an uptake of water through the root system. But if, if the tree drops its leaves as a defense mechanism to kind of shut its system down so the roots will, will, won't uptake any more of those salts, there's a toxin in the soil, the tree will kind of defend itself by dropping leaves. So hopefully once you've leached the salts out of the soil, the tree will leaf back out and it'll be back up and running. But got to act quick. And I just realized I was supposed to give away state park passes last segment, and I blew right past that. So we'll do it real quick. If you know the three holidays we use as reminders to fertilize citrus, text the answer to 411923. It's 411-923. Between now and the end of the programming segment, all correct answers will be put aside. We'll pick a random winner from that list. What three holidays do we use as reminders to fertilize citrus. Let's get to Karen in Tucson, who wants help picking out a tree. Welcome to the program, Karen. 
Yes. Uh, I have been interested in bay laurels for the bay leaves, and I don't want a crepe myrtle because that loses its leaves, a deciduous tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, what type that's not a tall-growing 20-foot tree like I saw at one nursery here of a bay laurel would I look for? And do they do good in the desert? They do really well in the desert. They're a, a, a larger-leafed, waxy-leafed tree, so you they prefer a little protected environment, maybe an east or a north exposure, but they do really well here. There's some large specimens around the valley that are, are you know, 12 and 15 feet tall. So, yes, they're a, a great uh, uh, large shrub, and, yeah, I wish you well in getting that in and, and, and kind of protecting it. Some morning sun would be great. Uh, eastern exposure probably would be better than north. You don't want it to be completely out of the sun. But just be careful on a, on a western and southern side. If it has no company or companion plants around it that would help to shade it, uh, you might have a little more difficulty um, on on the, those sides of your home. Just keep that in mind. But no, they're 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 an underused shrub, and and as you said, they they give you bay leaves uh, for for cooking purposes, and it's a, a wonderful, beautiful um, evergreen shrub. We appreciate the call. Let's go to Alphonse. And Chandler wants to talk about some ants crawling all over his ash trees. Hey, good morning, and uh, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. How can we help? Okay. I have a 15-year-old ash tree, um, uh, about one foot in diameter on the uh, trunk. And unfortunately, to the south, it has a a split in the trunk. I've been watching it over the last couple of years, keeping shade cloth uh, away from on it and all that. I have noticed that it is growing over the uh, cambium, the bark is starting to grow in, and I've been uh, recording it. Mm-hmm. It goes about an inch every time. My gap is about four inches on it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this year, uh, upon inspection, I see there's like a real fine sawdust on there, so that could tell me it might be black ants inside of that. What would you recommend to, to uh, stop the continued deterioration, maybe even some tar or whatever? And my second, my second part question would be, do we have to worry about the emerald ash borer down here in Arizona yet? Yeah, I'll take that last question first. Um, emerald ash borer, EAB, as it's referred to across the country uh, and not affectionately referred to as that, um, has uh, it hasn't reached Arizona. Uh, emerald ash borer is a devastating pest that, that um, kills ash trees and uh, throughout communities across the, the Midwest and East. And it's uh, um, transported through firewood and, and other ways, and it's sort of creeping away from its epicenter, um, I believe, was in Michigan. And it has just uh, been a, a real problem. But no, you shouldn't have to worry about that. The sawdust you might be seeing on yours would likely be a boar, like a flat-headed boar. There are others, other, other types of boring insects that leave frass behind. That's the sawdust, uh, which they excrete once they've uh, been chewing on that heartwood. Uh, then they leave behind this sawdust-like uh, material. Um, it, I, I would suggest that you you bring out a certified arborist and take a look at that. There are some uh, uh, some pesticide treatments that, that that can be helpful in reducing the um, that that uh, insect activity in the in the tree. Uh, as far as the you know protecting it from additional sunburn, I, I like the, the fact that you're. I'm hoping that that callus wood, that wound wood that will form around the edges of that that previous damage, uh, will eventually close around. It, it will simply compartmentalize the injury. It never eliminates it. That injury will just get buried inside the tree. 
and the tree is making an effort as it puts on new wood every year to eventually close up some of those wounds. And in the meantime, uh, insects will often uh, invade that, that heartwood uh, through that exposure. And we have um, uh, this flat-headed borer I mentioned is a, a heartwood um, boring insect, but it does live between the heartwood and the sapwood and, and can cause some uh, structural damage to our trees. So that can be treated if you um, uh, topically with a, um, a pesticide. Now, I did not write down all the questions. Did we get all of Alphonse's answered? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he talked about ants, too. You know, a lot of ants sometimes we'll, we'll see in our trees. People are concerned about them. Ants are um, usually just um, foraging during the day, and they usually re- return back at night to their uh, nest underground. And if you see ants on your trees, it's usually not a problem. They're usually traveling up to the um, the leafy parts of the tree to forage for um, uh, other insects and also Sometimes there's even aphids, and they're leaving honeydew behind, so the ants will feed on the honeydew. And there's just various reasons why we'll see ants in trees. Generally, they're harmless. They're not, they're not the ones that are boring in, your, in the trees. They're not doing damage to the trees. They're usually just uh, foraging for food, and then at the end of the day, they'll, they'll disappear and head back uh, uh, below ground. We're going to jump up to Flagstaff now and bring George into the conversation. He wants to talk about his pine trees. Welcome, George. Yes, thank you for having me. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So I was uh, curious. I got about five acres up here in Flagstaff. We have about 55 trees that are alive. We started off with two that were dead, and there's uh, two more that are on their way out. I think it's a beetle problem, and I'm not sure what I can do about that. Yeah, we. you should probably get a certified arborist. Uh, Larry Phillips with Supertree in Flagstaff could possibly help you with that. Um, there may be others. And Mick Henry from and and both Larry and Mick are both great arborists that Flagstaff has. But from Mick Henry from Mick's Tree Service, I actually just yesterday told Gary, "Find me the bark beetle podcast." I can't find it. Mick joined us and talked about bark beetles for a full hour when we were at the Flagstaff Home Show five seven I don't know two years ago. It's been a while. And because he went in, it was like an encyclopedia. The bark oh, beetle, be great. just yeah. how far they can fly, just what kind of damage to look. Well, maybe for, you how could to... try to find that podcast and get it, get yeah. it, get it posted again on the website. But basically, water, water, water. You let the yeah. tree produce enough sap to suffocate exactly. the bark. It's the just beetle. yeah. Usually, the the beetles are attacking drought stressed trees. So you know, if you can bring in some supplemental water to keep your your remaining trees healthy, that usually is a uh, gives them enough sap to be able to push the bark beetles out when they're attacked. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a shame when you begin to see some of your trees decline. We lost 17 trees at my parents' cabin. Mm. Um, it's interesting now in the evolution of this disease or these this insect infestation we've had in our area. Uh, when we lost those 17 trees, they were they were pretty much in the same area of the property. Now we have grass that grows in there. We have we've planted some fruit trees in there now because we have available sunlight, which we didn't have before because these were 80, 90 foot tall trees that we lost. Now all of a sudden we've got some sunlight to the area, and it's kind of nice. Um, it has actually opened up some um, some areas for uh, are the deer and the elk come in there to to feed on the grass, and it's just been a, a magnet. And now soon for, your apples for when they start to produce. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that it's not always that bad when we, when we start losing a few trees because it does give the understory plants more sunlight, and it starts this this process of of regeneration in the forest, which is part of our our, our ecology. Even though we don't like to see uh, the loss of these large uh, pine trees. Um, it's there are some other uh, benefits that go along with it. So, 
anyway, yeah, get a hold of either Larry or, or Mick Henry up in Flagstaff, and those guys can. And Mix is mixed tree, but Larry's do a have super tree. tree. They do have troop. Yeah, yeah. They do have treatment pro- programs. They do have treatment protocols that, that they can put in place. <laughs> it's Rosie on the house. If you'd like to talk to John Eisenhower, it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Final segment of Talking Trees right after this. Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower on Rosie on the House. What time of night was it when you wrote that one, Gary? <laughs> that that sounds like a two-hop <laughs> joke. I like that. There's, there's an old joke about, uh, you know, Somebody will tell a bad joke and uh, turn right around and said, man, with jokes like that, you must write for Leno. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you didn't get enough of your Talking Trees fix today, you can sign up for a class at Desert Botanical Garden. Well, John, you've been – how many years have you been doing classes at, uh, at the gardens? Yeah, I've been teaching a, pr- a pruning class there for the last eight years. And we're going into our ninth year, and it's just a blast. We just have a really good time. It's a, a either a two- or three-hour class, and we do some instruction indoors, and then we have a, a pruning demonstration. And then I give all the class participants a chance to actually uh, talk, actually work with some plant material and actually make some pruning cuts, make some pruning decisions. So it's a little hands-on pruning class, and if you— Want to know a little bit more how to prune your trees and your shrubs? Uh, uh, check it out. I'd just like to say how helpful that class is. My dad and I took that class, and you, you think you know what he's saying when you hear it, but to really see it and understand the cuts, it's it's huge for you and for your trees. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We enjoy that. So in April and in May, uh, we've got a class offered. Just go to the DBG website and sign up. DBG.org. They usually charge 10 15 20 bucks, and members no. are cheap. No? I wish it were. It used to be. Oh, it used to be. What is it? It's like about, after 50 about 30, or, 30 or 40 Okay. It's still worth it. I mean, you're there four or five hours. Yeah. It's, it's not a— It's three hours. For, three uh, hours? Two to three hours of class time, and, and, the, and the price is based on the number of, hour, of seat hours that you have. So, yeah, we've— uh, um, And you've mentioned it early enough, April and May, that— there should be seats open. One of the things we've run into in the past, uh, yeah, I've got a class coming up in three weeks, and then you go look and oh, it's a, <laughs> you look on the Botanical Gardens website, and it's already sold out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is good to get. There's only uh, room for 25 in each class, so it, it fills up pretty quick. Now, how am I supposed to introduce you now? I've, obviously, John Eisenhower is not changing, but there's a, a new development with Integrity Tree Service. There is, and I'm very excited to announce that Integrity Tree Service is partnering with a national company called Save-A-Tree. Save-A-Tree is a, is a regional uh, tree service with 33 branches around the country that I've admired from a distance for the last 30 years. And we began some discussions with Save-A-Tree uh, late last summer. And just recently, we have uh, merged the two operations, and we are um, going to be able to benefit from their leadership, from their uh, best-in-class striving toward excellence and all the work that they do across the country. And we um, are excited to say that as of just a few weeks ago, we are now Integrity Save-A-Tree. We are uh, the 34th branch of Save-A-Tree. This is their first um, entrance into Arizona, 
Uh, it's some of you who know the tree industry better uh, are very familiar with that name, Save a Tree, because uh, the the owner Daniel Van Starenberg has been uh, has had a high profile in our industry for years. Invested in safety, invested in in best management practices, invested in best in uh, uh, known for you know staying on the cutting edge of technology and research. And we are so excited. In fact, I just got back um, a couple of days ago from a four-day uh, conference with uh, 150 of their employees uh, at a just cross-pollinating ideas and taking classes and uh, uh, learning about plant health care and the, their whole uh, philosophy of, of working. And uh, it's, it's an exciting new venture for us. You'll see nothing's essentially changed on the ground. Uh, or we have our same uh, band of employees, our, our same uh, faces and personalities, uh, but you might see a little bit different look with our, our some new equipment, some new trucks, new, equi- uh, new, new uniforms, but it's the same uh, commitment to integrity and excellence that we've seen uh, for the last 30 years. My wife Kim and I are moving toward retirement sometime in the next five years or so, and this was— You— She's already retired. Well, she sort of has. She sort of checked out uh, a few years ago and began doing some other things. But we really wanted to leave our legacy uh, in good hands. That was really our desire: was for our thirty employees to be to have um, the the benefit of, of of being in a larger company that could steward the legacy that we've developed over the last thirty years. And we couldn't think of a better partner than Savitree to carry that legacy into the future. And, and it's a really interesting story because they actually sought you out first. They did. They did. And, and I, I, I use this analogy that you take two organizations that have both been really uh, in their own um, uh, areas, have been doing some things really well. And it's kind of like a cross-pollination, creating a hybrid plant that actually sh- share, has characteristics of both the, 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 the two original plants but actually creates some characteristics that are unique to that new species and that new cultivar. And I just feel like this Integrity Savitry is a great co- a great partnership, and we're so looking forward to the uh, uh, these next few uh, years of, of developing this, uh, this new organization under uh, d- a little bit different leadership. But I'm still, at th- I'm still um, running the company, and, and I plan to be here for uh, several more years, and um, and kind of coaching my managers and my team to uh, kind of carry the torch uh, into the next decade. And y'all are in a hiring mode. We are. We are. You know, we'd love to see if you if you have an interest in working outdoors and working hard and um, visit our website and and, uh, and give us a shout. Call us and is we'll, that still uh, itreeservice.com? Itreeservice.com. John Eisenhower, thanks for talking trees with us this Saturday morning. Moving into our open line hour next. If you've got a question about your home, castle, or cabin, it's one 767 4348 That's one 888 rosie for you We actually have a special guest that will join us next hour, too.